Welcome to the Dacus Report, hosted by Pacific Justice Institute founder and president Brad Dacus. For 25 years, PJI has counseled, represented, and defended people whose religious freedoms, parental rights, or sanctity of life have been obstructed or violated, all free of charge. We leave no one behind and level the playing field for Americans as they are subjected to the tyranny of the powerful. Now, here's Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. On today's show, uh, we're going to talk about some very important work that's taking place in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals right now and a a case that's going to impact freedom in our public schools, dealing with restrooms, uh, dealing with locker rooms. It's a real important case. You're definitely going to want to hang around to to watch and and listen to this case. Um, But first, I want to talk to our attorney out of our Mississippi office, attorney Ron Hackenberg, to talk about a very important PGI case we have ongoing right now involving a doctor. Uh, Welcome to the program, Ron. Good to be here, Brad. Thank you. Uh, It's great to have you on the show, as always. But first, I want to talk about this real important case that you've been working on with PJI, and that is uh, this doctor, Dr. Albright, and the case is uh, Albright versus Southern California uh, Permanente Medical Group. Um, I understand he was fired. Why was he fired? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Albright was a physical therapist for Kaiser Permanente. He worked at the Ontario Medical Center. He'd been doing this for 11 years. He was fired for not taking the COVID vaccine, but what's sort of unique here is not because they said he couldn't be accommodated. They fired him because they did not believe his request for religious accommodation was sincere. <laughs> they said it wasn't sincere. So this is going to be a real interesting uh, part of their discussion, I know, because he has an interesting background, a religious background, that I know the audience is going to find uh, very interesting. Uh, some of his, uh, as far as some background on the law, as far as discrimination or Title Seven, I want the audience to understand that. Um, how does that work? Uh, how does someone make a, a claim and, and what do they have to prove? Hey, you know, th- and this is really important. It, this has been around for a long time. This wasn't created just for COVID. But anytime your employer asks you to do something that violates your sincerely held religious beliefs, you're required, first of all, to communicate that to your employer to explain why you can't perform as asked and ask for an accommodation. And then the employer is, and this is very important, they're to assume that your um, that your statement that your uh, beliefs are sincere unless they have evidence otherwise. So if you're complaining about fetal cells, but you're in the meantime you're out uh, doing functions that that uh, for uh, uh, pro-abortion groups or Planned Parenthood or your contributor or what kind of things, that shows that it might not be sincere. But by and large, they're to accept your uh, submission as sincere. Then they're to engage in an interactive process where the employer talks with the employee, how can we let you continue to observe your religious beliefs and still work for us? And then when, and that's through what their attempt to to do is to attempt to accommodate you unless there's undue hardship, which most of the time means a big expense for the employer to keep you employed there. Okay, now Ron, I just want to clarify. So if someone files for a religious exemption and they spell out their beliefs, uh, they can't just, you know, get a, a just a blanket generic rejection letter. I mean, it seems like what you're saying here, Title VII requires the employer to sit down with them and first validate the sincerity of their beliefs, and then second, 
they're supposed to try to work out something to make it work, right? And we've seen, we have Pacific yes. Justice have helped thousands across the country keep their jobs uh, through this process of, of you know, reasonable accommodation. So that's a very important part of what we're talking about here. Uh, I understand Kaiser Permanente has about 16,000 requests for religious accommodation from the COVID vaccine. Is that right? Yes, and, and I should have explained also is that the, the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they publish guidelines for employers that go through all of this, how they're to, ex, uh, to ex, accept them as sincere and how the interactive process is supposed to work. It's very clear. But what happens is uh, Kaiser Permanente, uh, like a lot of other big corporations did, they got all these requests in, so um, they decided that they were going to put together a committee to review these things. And it's important to note that there is a, um, a, a federal mandate for vaccines at these healthcare institutions if you take Medicare or Medicaid funds. But that mandate requires that you allow religious exemptions. There's no special rules for pandemics. Just because you get a lot of requests does not mean you can just set up these committees and start going through and weeding out what you don't want. There's no limit on how many of them can be approved. Okay, but so Kaiser did set up this committee to to make the determination whether or not the requests were sincere. These religious exemption requests were sincere based on real bona fide religious beliefs, right? Yes, and okay. you know, unfortunately, in my opinion, them and a lot of other companies, they what they do is they're looking for a, a gotcha moment. They're looking for something that in your submission that they can use to reject it. Now, in his case. He made an initial submission and they gave him a provisional approval. Then they came back with no evidence and asked a bunch of other follow-up questions I believe were designed to trip them up. So let me give you an example. Say you came out and told me that, hey, if you want to continue to serve with PJI, you have to get a, the vaccine. And I tell you, I read you a letter telling you why that um, is against my religious beliefs. And then you come back and ask me, Ron, to, to, can you tell me the truth does the fact that the vaccines don't work, that they don't keep you from getting COVID, did that have any influence whatsoever in your decision? Well, you know, maybe so. How about the fact that a lot of younger people seem to be dropping dead and we see video of it uh, constantly? Um, have you, would that have any, um, the danger have any influence on your decision? Well, kind of. And then they say, well, you know, the deal is that you're not, it's not a religious based, it's science-based, it's fear-based, it's something based other than religion, and they reject uh, these uh, types of, of uh, submissions. Yeah, so it sounds like they're, they're not really looking to whether or not someone has a real sincere religious belief and conviction. They're just trying to, uh, you know, stick them in a corner with their questioning to try to get them to acknowledge some kind of concern outside their religion. But the thing is, just because someone says, Said, yeah, that was uh, something that got my attention or caused me to, you know, to, to pray about it and seek God's direction. It's still a religious belief. It's still a religious conviction that God doesn't want them to, to, to take that vaccine. So I, I, it sounds like their, their intentions are not, uh, you know, they don't like, it sounds like they have good intentions at all. It sounds like their intentions are actually is to find an excuse to be as unaccommodative as, po as possible for people who have, uh, have faith, particularly Christians. That's what I see all over the face of Kaiser with the process and how they've been going about this. Shame on them. Uh, moving forward, this is, this is terrible. So 
they had, they had invested five minutes to talk to a doctor who was an 11-year employee, and they found out that Dr. Arbeit has, has, uh, uh, was not qualified. But they also found out something about his, his background, right? I mean, there was no well, doubt that he went to church, right? Well, I see. Here, here's the thing. Um, you know, Dr. Albright's a, a, a medical professional, and he's brilliant, just like like many others. And uh, but they're not attorneys, and he wasn't represented at the time. And you have this all over the country. You have people of faith going in and honestly pouring out their heart. He talked about how he's convicted by the Holy Spirit, how he consulted with his pastor, and what have you. But they pick out things that they don't like. And the problem is, they looked at that questionnaire. They fired him, and they didn't give him five minutes. They didn't give him one minute. They just said you are your request is rejected as insincere. You have to a certain date to get vaccinated or you're fired. And and my point was, if, if they had talked to him for a couple minutes, this is an 11 year employee. We're asking them to, to to just invest a small conversation with. They would have found out that he served in various ministries throughout his adult life. Dr. Albright's on the board of directors of his church. He's been on foreign mission trips to Thailand, to Russia. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Christian Studies from Cal Baptist University. He teaches as an adjunct professor at that university. And in 2018, he enrolled in a five-year seminary program, which will conclude with a Master of Divinity degree. In essence, he's a theologian, and they find his submission to be insincere. So they didn't even talk to him for five minutes? No. No, no interactive process whatsoever. They didn't like... They found some things in the submission they didn't like, and that's it. Goodbye. Wow. Uh, so I can see why we filed a lawsuit. So he, he contacted yeah. Pacific Justice Institute after he was given this notice of termination, I, I assume? Correct. Yes, he had already been uh, through the process, and was he was working with the EEOC when he contacted us, and, and we began to assist him then. Okay. Now, has he got the right to sue letter from the EEOC yet? Uh, where is this at? Uh, yeah, we do, and uh, the, the uh, complaint has been filed in the uh, federal district court for the Central District of California. It was just filed this week. Yeah. Well, shame on Kaiser Permanente. Uh, and I want. I, I think. Uh, I, I think this. I think the way they operate just it, it it violates the spirit of the Civil Rights Act, in my opinion. It you know it's it it, it just it, it's not an, an an honest way to to um and to comply with that law, in my opinion. Yeah, you know Kaiser Permanente. This uh, last June had, you know, large, you know, banners, rainbow banners, gay pride banners. Uh, you know, I thought it was very disrespectful to the wide diversity of clients that they have. People coming in with, you know, who are sick, who have heart conditions, and suddenly are getting the, in the face with this propaganda LGBT material. And and yet now we see also by their actions, once again, you know, they're, once again, they're showing their intolerance towards people of faith, towards Christians in particular. Uh, not just in terms of patients, but in terms of their employees, uh, you know, it sounds like their attitude is one where they just simply want to get rid of the Christians, um, you know, in any way they can. That seems to be what their actions are communicating to me. Maybe that's not what they intend, but that's what their actions are communicating to me. What say you? Yeah, there's, you know, what would be, what would be the problem if they issued, if they ended up, from what I understand, approving over 10,000, around 10,000 of these requests. What if they would have approved 16,000? I mean, if there's, if there's some evidence that these people are, are fraudulent, that's one thing. 
But obviously, Dr. Albright's beliefs are not fraudulent. He's lived them his entire life. And uh, they, they did not make even the minimal effort to find out that that was the case beyond the way he responds to a questionnaire. And like I say, he's a brilliant medical person, but he's not a lawyer. Yeah, well, I want to encourage everyone out there listening to this that if they find themselves in a similar situation where they have a religious objection to one of these very controversial, potentially dangerous COVID-19 vaccines or boosters, and uh, they lose their jobs because of it, or, or they're about to lose their jobs, or they're warned, et cetera, they should contact us immediately and go to our website, pji.org. We have a 48-page or 50-page Q&A there where questions and answers, they can get a lot of their questions answered, but they can also contact us so we can counsel them and also possibly assist them in filing a lawsuit. Uh, we do all our work without charge. So uh, this, I think this is a classic example of the kind of work that we're doing to make sure that no one is left on the side of the road, especially when it comes to people of real faith having real concerns and losing their job without any due process, without any Title VII uh, guideline criteria being met uh, in, in so doing. So this is real important, and I want us to uh, make sure people know out there, it's not just Dr. Albright, it's other people representing all across the country. They shouldn't hesitate to contact us. Ron, keep up the great work, and I look forward to next time we have you on the program. Thank you, Brad. At PJI, we exist to serve everyone in need of counsel, representation, and defense of their religious liberties, parental rights, and the sanctity of life. We don't take cases based on how high profile they are. We are workhorses, not show horses. Keep current on PJI's work on all the legal challenges we face on a daily basis by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report. Uh, we're very blessed to have with us, as a part of our team at PJI, uh, attorney Milton Machak, uh, who has served uh, for many years, actually, as a prosecutor and has served the people, served the public. Well, now he's serving the people in a different way as a part of the PJI team. And uh, you're out of our office there in uh, Stockton, California. Welcome to the program, Milton. Thank you, Brad. Good morning. Yeah, good morning to you. Well, uh, I want to talk about and a little bit about this real important decision out of the 11th Circuit uh, that's going to impact the ability for school districts uh, to protect children in uh, locker rooms and bathrooms and things like that. But we, before we do that, I know you're involved in some, some cases and case work. Could you just give the audience some uh, basic summary of some of the things that you're involved in uh, so uh, they understand uh, which you're uh, personally engaged in right now? Uh, sure, Brad. I uh, am working on a um, number of cases that have been filed uh, in various courts throughout California, both federal and uh, state courts. Uh, these are uh, cases that um, pertain to employees, uh, either public uh, in public sector work or private sector work that have been terminated from their employment are adversely affected in their appointment because they had a sincere uh, religious objection to the COVID-19 vaccine um, uh, mandates of their employers or the state. Uh, the cases range from uh, being against uh, cities and counties or against um, private uh, companies, many of them the names that are well known to all of us, uh, such as Trader Joe's or Virgin Galactic. Uh, these are people that filed uh, with their companies objections um, 
uh, or with their with their uh, uh, public um, uh, employers yeah. objections to the COVID nineteen vaccine and were fired because of it. Yeah. Well, you know, Milton, I, I really appreciate the work you're doing. I know our attorneys in our many offices across the country are dealing with these kinds of cases, uh, principally because others aren't stepping up to do that, and we don't want to see all these people of faith lose their jobs and not able to feed their families um, simply because they don't want to deny their religious convictions about God's calling in their life regarding not to take these vaccines. I know there are very, is very controversial, at least initially it was. Um, now the science has actually proven that it was for people who are not in the high-risk category, maybe for some of those in the high-risk category, but at least for those who are not high-risk, you know, we've had uh, so many young people, young athletes falling over dead left and right. Uh, I understand based on this, the stats I, I heard that uh, that uh, since the pandemic hit and the, and the vaccines were initiated, uh, that we've had uh, over 1,500 young athletes dropping dead and their hearts stopping. And that is unheard of. Prior to that, the 10 years prior to that, there were uh, reportedly, I think, 29, 26 such deaths of young athletes suddenly dropping off and heart attacks and things like that. So 29 over 10 years versus over 1,500 in a relatively short period of time. Uh, we know it's because of the vaccine. Other people have had serious long-term problems. No other vaccine, I believe, it's ever been approved in U.S. history has caused more fatalities, more deaths, more permanent disabilities than this ugly monster uh, called the COVID vaccines and the boosters that make it even riskier and more and more and worse. So, um, as we're looking, at, you know, at these cases, I think they're very serious. You have a, a major class action lawsuit against San Francisco. I think you're you're uh, working on too, right? Uh, correct. Uh, Kevin Snyder, chief counsel of PGI, uh, is uh, the chief counsel on that. But I am um, a uh, co-counsel on that. We have um, uh, helped with a, a complaint for on behalf of about four or five. Uh, San Francisco employees that uh, we received their information after the class action has been filed. So we're looking to also um, add those to the class action uh, to uh, to um, join those uh, that suit. But it's uh, well over a thousand employees from San Francisco. Um, San Francisco uh, just decided that they were going to. <laughs> Some of the some of the things that they did almost you know can like it to almost an inquisition in in uh, the way they questioned their employees uh, either didn't did or didn't accept their reasonable accommodations uh, I mean not reasonable accommodations excuse me their their request for exemption and then uh, regardless of that they ended up uh, um, being terminated yeah well. Uh, these are important cases, and I'm glad that uh, you and the PGI team are taking them on very seriously. I know there's thousands across America, uh, men and women, uh, brothers, sisters in Christ, who uh, are, are counting on us. And, and I know uh, we at the end are counting on a lot of people keeping us in prayer as we take on these cases. I want to encourage people out there who are not receiving our case updates, who would like to pray for our work and pray for these cases, uh, to go to our website, pji.org pji.org and sign up to get our legal insider where you'll be kept up on the, these and many, many cases that we're taking on deal with religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. I understand they came down with a very favorable decision. Uh, 
dealing with the ability for public school districts to do the right thing when it comes to protecting boys and girls in bathrooms and locker rooms. Please tell me more. Uh, that's true, uh, Brad. Uh, it, it was a great decision out of the 11th Circuit. Adams v. Uh, St. John School Board. Um, it was a, um, a case where it was a suit brought by a um, uh, biological female minor who um, was has you know claimed she was transitioning transitioning into male. Wanted to use the male bathrooms. Had actually used the male bathrooms. Um, the school board uh, determined that their bathrooms could only be used by the biological sex of each bathroom, male and female. They did provide uh, gender-neutral, you know, single-stall bathrooms, private bathrooms, for use if a student uh, felt that they wanted to use that type of a, a bathroom. So they had that accommodation also. Uh, but this court, the 11th Circuit, um, ruled that that um, school board's policy was constitutional, did not violate the Equal Protection Clause of the uh, U.S. Constitution nor Title IX, and upheld the school's ability to, to do that. Uh, it was a very common sense, you know, these are biological boys, biological girls, and uh, we need to keep them separate. Uh, one of the things that helped schools in this was the fact that uh, the court recognized and quoted um, uh, legal precedent on this, that schools have a uh, responsibility both as um, as almost like a parental role as well as a educational role to protect students and protect them. And they can be even be held liable for sexual assault, as we know uh, schools have been in the past. And so this was just a simple, common sense um, step and policy by this school board to protect students, but also to still, and this was helpful in the favor of the school board, they even provided, you know, uh, accommodations, private accommodations for someone who felt the need that they couldn't use either male or female bathrooms. Um, it was an excellent decision, and I hope um, we'll, it, it provides good pervasive, persuasive law, but also now because there is a split in the circuits that this will be taken up by the U.S. Supreme Court. So it was a good decision. I understand it was, I think, a 7-4 to four decision. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Yes. So it was a 7-4 to four decision, and um, so that's, a, that's, that's great. I mean, that's a real solid, decisive decision. In addition, uh, we see that it's a very clear in terms of the, the, the facts. We're dealing with a biological female going into boys' bathrooms. And, you know, then, you know we're also talking here about potentially – uh, you know, dealing with schools that have locker rooms like junior highs, high schools, uh, preventing a biological female going into the, the boys' locker room. Yes. And this decision, it looks like, is one that could, is not just dealing with bathrooms. It looks like the precedent would also apply to locker rooms and uh, these kind of uh, other encounter, potential in, in encounters of visual violation and, and threats of other kinds of violation as well. Absolutely. And I think uh, you made a very good point. Uh, one of the things that the court mentioned in its ruling um, was the fact that the bathrooms are not only used for, um, you know, going to the bathroom, but also for uh, changing clothes, uh, uh, getting out of uh, one clothing into another clothing. And so rational people should be able to realize this is just not good. 
right. uh, that it's just going to lead to to uh, a dangerous situations of sexual assault, sexual violation, sexual harassment. I, I'm hopeful that not only the 11th Circuit, but even in a Supreme Court ruling uh, soon, that we'll have a ruling that will just uphold schools' rights to protect their students through this means. I think it's also important for people to understand that studies show clearly that individuals who uh, are, say, transgender, have gender identity dysphoria, confusion, which is what we're talking about. This is not a biological mm -hmm. I issue. It's not a genetic issue. It's a mental condition, according to DMS-5 manual, psychiatric manual, um, that the overall majority of these kids mm -hmm. and young people, uh, they actually are still sexually turned on by the opposite biological sex. So this makes no sense at all. No sense at all that uh, this should be allowed in any public school, in any context. Milton, I want to thank you for being on the program. This has been very helpful. Keep up the great work. God bless. God bless you, Brad. Thank you. We would love the opportunity to continue to serve you. Just visit pji.org and click the Legal Insider button to sign up for our email newsletter. At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation, and defense, all free of charge at PJI.org. PJI is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos. We are here for you. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms.